During the late 1940s, a new field of study emerged in science and engineering known as cybernetics. Cybernetics has to do with how machines or social groups or even individuals can be reorganized through the processing of information in order to operate more efficiently or effectively. The term actually comes from the Greek word kubernetes, which means the pilot or steersman on a ship. So cybernetics is all about steering the proper course toward a better way of doing things, really a better way of life. It's a fancy term for what the Bible calls wisdom, and that's what we want to dig into today on Groundwork. From Words of Hope and Reframe Media, this is Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. And Scott, this is the second of a very brief two-part series, mostly from the book of Proverbs, on the topics of folly and wisdom. The Bible, as we pointed out last week, often describes people as falling into one of two categories. So in the Psalms, it's the wicked and the righteous. But in Proverbs, it's the foolish and the wise. And we looked in the first program about folly. We started with the negative part, so we can end now with the positive dimension of wisdom, what we all hope to be. We all want to be wise, not foolish. Nobody wants to be foolish, I don't think. So we're going to end with that. But we noted, um, Dave, in in the first program that the hallmark of the fool is unteachability, rooted in pride and arrogance and in a belief that the world revolves around me, I can make up the rules as I go along, nobody can tell me how to live, I'll do it my way, thank you very much. Unteachability is the essence of the fool, which means in this program we're going to see a lot about what it means to be teachable and whom we revere most of all. In the most basic sense, they're the opposite of one another. So if to be a fool means you don't listen... Uh, You can't take instruction. Nobody can tell you anything. You know it all already. Or in another sense, it means you can't foresee where you're headed. You can't reason out the end of the path that you're on and how it's going to destroy you. The opposite is wisdom, which does listen, which does foresee, which does think ahead. And like Folly, who's personified in the book of Proverbs as a lady, Wisdom is as well, as we learn from this passage from Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you, If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now, for our listeners who are paying really close attention, then you'll realize that we read the end of Proverbs 9 in the previous program on folly, and a lot of the language is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Both wisdom and folly are standing near their houses at the high point of the city, calling the simple to come in. 
The difference is, is that Lady Folly says, you're really simple and I hope to keep you that way. Yeah. Whereas Lady Wisdom says, leave your simple ways. You know, understand the, the ways of the Lord and, and the right way to live and the fear of the Lord. So they're both issuing invitations. The question is, into whose house will we go? Yeah. The one house, as the end of Proverbs 9 says, Lady Folly's house is a cemetery. It's the realm of the dead. But this is the realm of the living. Yeah, so these are two very different ladies as well. To be frank, Lady Folly is a prostitute yep. who's inviting people to come and die, uh, to throw themselves away, really throw their lives away mm -hmm. in the pursuit of wickedness that leads nowhere but to destruction. Lady Wisdom is this wonderful matron, <laughs> like a good wife, who's prepared all these good things. She's throwing a banquet. Uh, the house has been built, the table's been set, the meat's been cooked, the, the wine's been mixed, she says, and she sends out her servants with invitations. Come one, come all. Look, if you're simple, come and learn from me. Come to my house. So there's a couple of the great contrasts in this passage, and another one is this contrast between insight and being simple, which is really a synonym for a fool. Right. Uh, and maybe in a fallen world, maybe being a simpleton in that sense is our default setting. We're going to need some help to not go the way of the foolish, uh, but instead uh, take Lady Wisdom's invitation to come. But of course, that's premised on what we were saying just a little while ago. That's premised on your being willing to learn being willing to take rebuke, um, right? So here, there's another passage uh, from Proverbs. Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. Instruct the wise, they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they'll add to their learning. That's the disposition of the wise one. Do that with a fool and you get nothing but static and yeah, grief. Right, a fool will bite your head off. I remember uh, reading some years ago a story uh, told by a, a well-known preacher's wife who said when they were just starting uh, to engage in their courtship and then early on in their marriage, her husband would often ask her to critique his sermons until she, with wifely wisdom, understood or realized that he didn't really want criticism. He wanted only affirmation, which I can understand. Any preacher can understand that. It's a daunting business to put yourself out there like that. But one of the marks of a wise person Hard as it may be, we touched on this in our previous program too, is they will welcome honest, thoughtful, careful criticism because they want to become wiser still. That's how it works. If you are never corrected, if you never are given real good feedback on either your performance in whatever it is, your job, a husband or a wife, a spouse, as a parent, as a performer of whatever kind, Everyone who really does want to grow understands the importance of being critiqued, and that's what wisdom does. And what's interesting is that we're also told that you create good momentum. The wise get wiser still, which is interesting. That means that the wise get more and more and more discerning as they go along in life. You know, what's interesting about the book of Proverbs, Dave, is that if you want to be a flat-footed literalist in terms of, you know, the Bible, Proverbs will drive you a little crazy because a lot of Proverbs contradict each other. Mm. So one proverb says, rebuke a fool harshly or he'll continue in his folly. And another proverb says, walk away quietly from a fool lest you get caught in his own folly. It's like, well, which is it? Do you rebuke him or do you walk away? Well, the answer is, it depends. Yeah. Um, the wise add to their discernment to realize 
you know, uh, there's no one-size-fits-all prescription for this, and the wise can tell the difference between somebody you got a good shot at having a useful conversation with and somebody who's just going to shout you down. It takes wisdom to apply wisdom, and that's the good momentum of those who are teachable. Right. There, there's another wonderful thing here, I think, in this passage from that we read from Proverbs 9, and I just want to touch on it before we wrap this segment up, but it's the different destinations that these two invitations, these two houses, mm. wisdom's house and folly's house, uh, the different places to which they lead. So we read it again in verse 11, through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. And I think one of the things that we tried to say here is, you know, folly ultimately hurts you <laughs> yeah. more than it doesn't hurt God if you're a fool but it will hurt you, whereas wisdom will lead to life. And the reason Proverbs is so passionate about this is because it wants us to live. God wants us to live. He wants us to hear this and respond positively in the right way. And that, David, you just said God wants us to live, which is why we need to talk about next about the core of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's that mean? Well, think about it next. glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork Conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, this is the second part of a very short two-part series on folly and wisdom, focusing today on wisdom, and particularly how the book of Proverbs teaches us about wisdom. Although before this program is finished, we're going to see that there's a really important New Testament connection yeah. uh, beyond the book of Proverbs as well. But we read again and again um, in Proverbs 9:10, but elsewhere, uh, we, we saw this in the very first chapter of Proverbs in our first program too, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this actually gets echoed in some of the Psalms, here's Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding, to him belongs eternal praise. Right, so that's a core idea. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom, there's other things that need to be done and uh, understood. But it's the beginning of wisdom, and the question is, why is that so basic? What is it about the fear of the Lord that makes it so important, that makes it run really through the whole Bible from beginning to end? This is a phrase that occurs not just in Proverbs, not just in Psalms, but throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament as well. So I think maybe the first question to ask is, what exactly is the fear of the Lord? And of course, many people will probably think, well, it, uh, above all, it means reverence, which it does, awe. Uh, the one verse we just read from the Psalms ends with praising God. And that is certainly true. And we, in the previous program, we looked at uh, Psalm 14, verse 1, that says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And when you cut yourself off, off from God as a daily presence in your life, 
you're probably going to pursue things that are going to hurt you. Because God, as you said in the last segment, Dave, God has our best interests in heart. God made this creation to be a place of delight and flourishing. So when you pay attention to God and honor the blueprint, so the Bible, you know, partly gives us the blueprint for creation. Here's what works. Here's what doesn't work. Color inside the lines. Stay inside the moral boundary fences I put up and you'll be fine. Fools ignore all that because they ignore God. I think a lot of people today would want to emphasize the fact that the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that we're scared of God, uh, that he's not frightening. Actually, I, I kind of believe the pendulum has swung a bit too far. It's true that in past generations, I think there was a sense of the terror of God yeah. and the fearsomeness of yeah. God. and. And people quaked at the sinners in the hands of an angry God, you know, that great Jonathan Edwards sermon where he compares us to spiders hanging by a thread over a roaring fire. But today, you know, people tend to fall all over themselves to say, oh, we shouldn't be scared of God. And my tendency is to say, well, maybe just a little. I mean, God is not tame. You know, it's like Aslan in Narnia. He's not a tame lion. He's good, uh, but but he's not safe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think you're right, Dave. I mean, you can go to any number of churches that have, you know, sort of are kind of talking to God, even in prayers, like God's a, a buddy you're meeting after work for a drink somewhere. A little more reverence wouldn't hurt there. Right. But the main thing is that the fear of the Lord means that we begin to take God seriously. We never treat him lightly. We don't take him for granted. And in particular, we have a kind of a childlike dread of offending him or alienating him or disobeying him. So the fear of the Lord really functions in a number of ways, and we see it repeated again and again throughout the scriptures with all kinds of promises attached to it, all kinds of developments that it can lead to. One of the things, for example, that the fear of the Lord will do is will restrain people from doing evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will keep the so again, uh, just to go to Proverbs, here's a verse from Proverbs 8, uh, verse 13 the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And again from Proverbs 16 by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So it keeps us from doing the bad things that we might otherwise do. Right. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because um, we'll never find the gate that leads to the paths of wisdom. We'll never find the front door to Lady right. Wisdom's house to right. use the image from We earlier. won't even get started without yeah. that. If you don't acknowledge God in all your ways, if you don't acknowledge that reality is finally God-centered. It's not me-centered. It's not human-centered. It's God-centered. He is the deep well of gravity around which all of us orbit. And you accept that or you don't. But if you accept it, now you've got a good chance to then say, okay, God, tell me what I need to know. I'll do what you say. I think you've got my best interests at heart. I trust you. I love you. So teach me. Again, teachability, so very, very important. I think we could say from Scripture that the fear of the Lord leads us not just to obey God, but to serve him with kind of joy and gladness, to worship him, So just a a little bouquet of verses from the Psalms, for example. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Or a great passage, a classic passage from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. For your own There's good. a lot in there, that for your own good line. And you know, yeah, that quote's from Deuteronomy that you just uh, had there from Deuteronomy 10. And the theme of Deuteronomy, right, which is Moses' final sermon to the new generation of Israelites before they finally leave the wilderness and enter the promised land, the core refrain in Deuteronomy is remember and do not forget. Remember God and don't forget. When you get into the promised land where you aren't dependent on manna and miraculous water flowing from a rock, but now you've got your own gardens and you got your own smartly dug wells, don't conclude, hey, I did this. I, I earned all this. No, remember and do not forget. You are as dependent on God in the promised land as you were in the wilderness when your life was hanging by a thread. Remember and don't forget. And that's what the wise do. We remember every day, I am totally dependent on God's goodwill. Right. I also love in that Deuteronomy passage the uh, combination of fear and love. It says, fear the Lord first, but also love the Lord your God. And those two things, as John Henry Newman, the great Cardinal Newman of the 19th century, said, uh, must always go hand in hand all our days, fear and love, because fearing God will temper our love. It will make it, it will prevent it from sliding into a mere kind of sentimentality that doesn't take obedience seriously. It just says, oh, it's all good no matter what I do. And loving God will keep our fear from turning into a kind of a shrinking from him. Terror. Uh, Yeah. So those are the ways of wisdom. That's what the Bible teaches us in the Old Testament in particular, but there's something more in the New Testament, and we'll conclude with that in just a moment. What if you could spend time in scripture while you drove to work? What if while you were making dinner, you could engage in thoughtful reflection about your relationship with God? What if every time you exercised, you worked on your body and your spirit? When you subscribe to the Words of Hope Daily Devotional, you'll be able to listen to a few minutes of scripture and reflection wherever you are. Check out the Words of Hope Daily Devotional wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast, and you're listening to Groundwork as we are now concluding a, a two-part series on folly and wisdom, focusing in this program now on wisdom. And Dave, we began by noting that in Proverbs, both folly and wisdom are personified as a lady, lady wisdom. But you know, there's another personification ultimately in the Bible of wisdom, and uh, we learn about it in the New Testament when we find out that Jesus Christ is now the wisdom of God. You know, we're, we're accustomed, and I think we think much more of this in the church, to thinking about the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is the Word of God, the Logos in the Greek, right? And so we, we tend to think about that. But in the New Testament, Jesus is also the Sophia, the mm-hmm. wisdom of God, which is feminine, which is maybe one reason we don't like to associate with Jesus, because in human terms, he was a male. But And yet we are told that Jesus is Sophia, not just Logos, Word, but Sophia. Sophia, wisdom as well. Which is a wonderful insight to read back into Proverbs. So when that lady wisdom invites us to come to her house and eat this rich feast of good things and live, it's really the Lord Jesus. The Son of God. Yeah, who's inviting us to come home to him. What John's gospel tells us when he says, in the beginning was the word, the word is with God, and through him all things were made. John is saying, when you read Genesis 1, and it says, and God said, let there be light, that was the Son of God who became right. Jesus doing the talking. Now you just made the good point. 
when you read Proverbs and Lady Wisdom is talking, that's also the Son of God who became Jesus. Well, and here's where we see this in the New Testament. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul has just been talking about wisdom and foolishness, again, in slightly different terms from what we've been discussing in our series from Proverbs. But he points out that God's way of salvation doesn't seem very wise by the world standards because the world values, again, know-how, science, technology, knowledge, all that stuff. Strength, brawn, guts, And we've seen that's not real wisdom in biblical terms, but that's how the world defines it. And it thinks of a message of salvation through a cross. That's just dumb. That's, That's just folly. That's foolishness to the world's way of thinking. But Paul says God has turned all this upside down and set it on its head. And you can see that that's true, Paul says to the Corinthians, by just looking at yourselves. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters of Corinth, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus is our wisdom. He is wisdom from God. And in him, we find our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Everything, all the treasures of God are found in Jesus Christ. So really, the ultimate in wisdom is to come to know Jesus. And here, Dave, all the threads of these two programs come together and and get braided into a lovely cord because we have said all along, the hallmark of the fool is unteachability. You just can't teach him. He won't take rebuke. He won't take instruction. He won't listen to you when you try to, you know, save him from stepping off the cliff uh, or sawing off the branch he's sitting on. Fools are unteachable. The wise are eminently teachable. The fear of the Lord. We sit at the feet of our God and we learn, well, that all now comes together in the New Testament because, Paul says, the way of salvation namely that it comes from a bloody instrument of Roman execution, a Mm. cross of all things, that is the wisdom of God. And Paul says, you're never going to learn that just listening to the world. You will only learn that that apparent folly is actually wisdom when you are teachable and you let the Holy Spirit fill you, you become one with Christ, and you listen to what the gospel teaches you. You'll never learn that any other way. You have to be teachable or you won't even get the gospel. Right which is meant to lead us to Christ. And so Paul says here, not in this passage, but just prior to this, that the world through wisdom does not come to know God. Right. Wisdom purely considered in worldly terms as science, knowledge, technology, will never lead people to God. Reason won't lead people to God. Pure, unaided thinking. Striving, religion won't lead people to God. That's not the way to God because God has intentionally pass judgment on all these worldly ways by saving people through the cross, as you said, this bloody instrument, and specifically through the message of the cross or the preaching of the cross, which is foolishness to those who are perishing. It seems stupid. What? You just stand up and tell a story about a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago? But it is actually the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
because through it we're saved. Exactly. And, you know, if it was true in Corinth, in the Greek world, that they also valued strength and courage and brawn and intelligence, boy, that describes our culture all over the place today, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we know that might makes right, nice guys finish last, and that's the cultural air we breathe. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, be strong and courageous, be a self-made man or woman. So if that was a problem in Corinth, it was a real problem today, which means, again, the only way we're going to learn the ways of God and what constitutes true wisdom, which is, as we've said again in both of these programs, the way that leads to life, and in this case, to life eternal, well, that'll come through our being teachable and taking what God has to reveal to us in the gospel. Which is Jesus Christ, (laughs) to put it most simply. The wisdom of God. Yeah, God leads us to him, if we'll only learn. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Dave Bast with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to let us know what Scripture or topics you'd like to hear discussed on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Media in partnership with Words of Hope. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is Mark Drenth. Our studio relations manager is Christy Prince. Our content and managing producer is Courtney Jacob, and our executive producer is Stephen Koster. 